You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we have a paranormal encounter in Fab Facts. We're off to get our heads examined in the randomizer. And Anna Leon Brophy is back for part two. That's all coming up in a very spooky paranormal pod 259. Of the Jerry Anderson podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Just when you think yep. podcast host Richard James doesn't have any more voices up oh, his vocal sleeve. Come on. Then he cracks open that. I mean, that was amazing. Was it? I just, you know, just pulled it out the oh, hat, I? Oh, just it together. It's just one of yeah, me many right. voices. I mean, you know, yeah. it was just what yeah. I do. What a star. Well... Yeah. I feel very lucky to be co-hosting a podcast with you, with the talents like that. I don't have any voices to <laughs> offer other than my own. Well, that'll um, do. I'm Jamie Anderson. Who are yes, you? Yes, I'm Richard James. The multi-talented Richard James. Mm. The multi-vocal Richard James. Mm. I mean, he does spooky mm. hammer horror voice. Yes. He does Terry Wogan. He does yes. Trevor McDonald. He does oh, yes. Patrick Stewart. He oh, does... Yes. Um, who did you Gosh. do? Like You did somebody last week, didn't you? Did I? I mean, um, oh, well, you, su- you suggested I sounded a bit like Jeff Goldblum at one Jeff point. Jeff Goldblum, Robert Peston. I mean, none of Louis them are particularly Theroux, convincing, are they? Let's Officer be honest. Orin, Podley. No, 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 I can't do Officer Orin, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> the one you actually played. Anyway, yeah. uh, Richard was in Space Precinct, Podstrums. I don't know if you know that. Uh, but he never mentions it, and he gets yeah. very embarrassed if we say anything about I it. Do. So I won't mention that he was Officer Hubble Orin in said 1994 Jerry Anson show, Space was Precinct, currently really? available. In was HD. it 1994? Yes, it was 1994. You're that old. And so am I, because wow. I was nine when we met. Yeah, you were there. <clears throat> anyway, uh, mm. this is the Jerry Anson Podcast, and later on we'll be joined by Chris, the randomizer Dale. Right. Um, he does a, a thing. Yes. Come on, I'm not tell sure if you're aware of this. Yeah. So he's got a machine, Yeah. an actual physical machine that's got a big it red is. button on it, and mm. inside he's got programmed into it every single Jerry Anson episode and film. Yes. And when he presses the red button, it randomly, using a very kind of crazy advanced uh, random number generator, yes. picks one of those episodes and does a little printout, a little thing that he tears it's off. It's so clever. And then he watches that episode, not on the randomizer. It doesn't have that uh, facility. I don't think it's got a screen that could display oh. them. Um, and then he goes oh, and so watches it. just tells it. him which one to watch. Well, that's it doesn't the whole play point of the randomizer. I know, but I, I always assumed it played it for him. No, no, it doesn't. I think he watches uh, it on another screen. Anyway, right, he, he walks right. he walks you through it, yeah. uh, you know, gives you some humorous and uh, intellectual observations, often yeah. at the same time. Uh, yes. And we all get to enjoy it together with Chris, which is a, a rather lovely thing to do. But... You've got a little while to wait until that because we mm. fill this mm. podcast with so much other gubbins. Oh, here we go. That you have to wait <clears> for the <throat> passing of time. Here we go. Go on. What? What do you want me to do this week? I don't, I don't know what you're... Mm. And uh, those gubbins will now be presented by yes. my colleague, Constable Richard James, <laughs> as the arresting <laughs> officer reading the list of oh, charges for, for this round. podcast. What? <laughs> uh, uh, right. Uh, uh, <clears throat> right. Uh, Stick this way, sir. Step this way. Now, now uh, just put your hands on the desk while I can see them, please. Right, now, I've got a list of charges here for you. 
Uh, firstly, you've been uh, found in contempt of fab facts. Uh, <gasps> How dare you? So uh, you'll receive five years if you're found guilty of that, I'm afraid. Uh, you've also been found drunk in charge of Newsy News News News. <laughs> That's uh, Jerry Anderson News. <laughs> Uh, and also, uh, you've been interviewing while under the influence. Uh, so we'll hear the second part of your interview, <coughs> Milado. Uh, that will be coming up. That's with um, the voice of Tintin herself, Anna Leon Brophy, a little later on. Uh, and we'll have the randomizer, of course, and <coughs> above and beyond all that, I understand uh, that you've had a little bit of assistance from the wonderful Podstrons who've been emailing us in that podcast at jerryanderson.com. Uh, how do you plead? <laughs> Guilty as charged. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, oh, I love also God. that your character there was yes. Constable Terrio type. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Be- of course. Probably the main <laughs> British police officer voice that everyone draws upon. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> what else is great. there? Oh, I really enjoyed that. You see, <sighs> what a talent we've got here I mean, in I the remember, shape of Richard James. What? I remember the days when I just used to read out what was coming up in my normal voice. And that was fine. And what is this? I mean, I mean, that worked. Yes. So why why all this bus tourist thing <laughs> and taking them by the hand and leading them around a museum and police <laughs> reading a fun, charge seat? Because it's fun and interesting. Okay. And also, it's it, you know, it's it's all we've got left if we're bringing something new to this podcast because the rest of it is the same old nonsense as usual. Well, yeah. Um, so, well, shall we go straight into some same old nonsense with some fab facts? Oh, after all that. <laughs> go on, then. Here's the very familiar fab facts. Now, time for this week's fab facts. Uh, mm. Yes, as you already know, I'm guilty mm. as charged in mm. uh, being, yep. well, I can't remember what it was. Was it drunk in charge of fab facts? Or, I think uh, it was, yes. Uh, soliciting a fab fact. Anyway, uh, we're about <laughs> to solicit one from the book. Uh, I've got a book of fab facts. There it is. Rich oh, is going to shout fab. I know it was a very quick wow. click today. Yeah. Um, Rich is going to shout fab at a random point, which will stop me flicking. Uh, hopefully, m- well, moist or dry thumb allowing, we mm. will land upon the correct page and there will be a fab fact upon it. Hopefully no weird drop-in handwritten notes this week. Richard, are you oh, yes. ready with your uh, fab? Born ready. Excellent. Here we go. Fab! Ah. Ooh. What? Well, well, well. What have I done? No, no, no. It's it's a good one, I think. Oh. I, I think you'll like this because... Okay. You say that every week, but go on. <laughs> well, and you often do. Mm, often. You like last week's about the uh, Oliver I Onions. I did, that's true. Yeah, and anyone listening to this one not aware of Oliver Onions, you'll be searching Oliver Onions now. <laughs> anyway, no, today's fab fact takes us into the world of the paranormal and to the legendary comics artist Frank Bellamy. Now, that name will instantly conjure up all sorts of amazing work because of course Frank is well known for his work in such titles as The Eagle for which yep. he drew the Dan Dare strip everyone knows Dan Dare um, and TV21 in which of course he fabulously drew Thunderbirds as well as a handful of the latter Captain Scarlet strips but what you may not know is that his work on the Anderson strips came quite near the end of his life and that is what we're looking at today Okay. On July the 5th, 1976, Frank's wife Nancy returned home from a short holiday with her sister and was shocked by how suddenly and unexpectedly ill he looked. Now, very sadly, Frank passed away later that day at the mere age of 59. That's no age at all. No, no. Goodness me. Anyway... So after that very sad thing, just a few days later um, at the funeral, and obviously still deeply in shock, 
Nancy was prescribed some sleeping tablets by her doctor, and just as she was drifting off, she heard Frank's voice calling her name. Mm -hmm. Opening her eyes, she saw her late husband standing within touching distance beside the bed. Now, according to Nancy, uh, it was as if all the years had rolled away and he looked young and happy, wearing his favourite colour, which was green. Uh, And the encounter lasted only a few moments before Frank faded away and Nancy drifted off to sleep. Uh, Later, she confided in in her sister about the experience and her sister said that Frank had also visited her too. Now, I'm sure right now there are a few listeners who are probably rather sceptical about the idea of ghosts or the afterlife or the paranormal and so on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely all right. All we ask uh, of the Potterstrons is that you don't get into any heated or angry arguments about this because ultimately, in this case, it doesn't matter what you or I think. It, what matters is the effect it had on Nancy. Uh, yeah. And in the following years after Frank's passing, although they were hardships, Nancy said that it would have been much harder for her uh, if it were not for that encounter and the sense of closure that came with it. Mm, okay. Now, sadly, Nancy passed away in, in 2011, and we can't help but hope that somehow she was reunited with the man that she first met and married during the Second World War. Oh, well. So there you go, the paranormal Gosh, experience of uh, Frank Bellamy's missus. Yes, and that's natural, documented, recording recollection of hers. Well, that's she said, yes. Yeah. That, was, that was her, yeah. in, her encounter. Well, there you go. Who are we? Who are we to argue? Absolutely uh, nobody. I mean, it's a, bit, it's no. a little bit Captain Scarlet-esque. Uh, <laughs> right. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting Mistrons were involved in this paranormal activity. I mean, uh, OK, let, well, let, let's pursue this, Jamie. So, were we? Do we, we need well, to? we all know, you know, Jerry died what, 13, 14 years ago now. Have you ever it's felt... It's not that long, but yes. Isn't it? When, when, what, what <laughs> it was year 2012. Is it it's only 11 years ago uh, this December. There we are. Uh, so have you ever felt anything that you could attribute to being his presence, shall we say, <laughs> around you or guiding okay. you? I'm not, no, not going to go down a paranormal route, but I no. will say two interesting not even timely things, but two two interesting bits and pieces. So one is, I know he was extremely um, proprietorial, is that the word, about yeah. his shows? Yeah. And so in the early days when Mum and I had this discussion and said that we were going to try and carry things on, I, I had several dreams where I would walk into a room and he was reading a newspaper, would drop the newspaper and say, what are you doing with my stuff? Right. And I would wake, wake up, sit bolt upright with that. Right. But then once we, mum and I formalised things, interesting that the dogs are all barking now. Yes. Um, once we formalised things, I found a really old bit of uh, card where he'd gifted me something when I was, you know, starting out early in, in work and, and kind of adult life, I suppose. Yeah. And that very day where mum and I formalised what we were going to do, I found this thing and it read, Dear Jamie... With all best wishes and good luck for your new venture, Dad. Well, well. So that was rather lovely. Yes. And, I, and I've got that on the shelf somewhere where I kind of yeah. occasionally dig it out. And, you know, that's that kind of gives you the bit of comfort, doesn't it? So I don't, yeah. I don't subscribe to the paranormal, but sure. I do subscribe to timely dreams, imaginings and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So I think you can still take comfort from it there. Well, well. How interesting. There you are. Yeah. Great. Does that spooky Shiver enough for you? Spine. No, I thought so. Uh, well, I'm going to go and deal with the dogs, uh, but mm. that brings us spookily to the end of this week's 
spooky fan. <laughs> oh, you got the voice out again. Right, you do some things. I'm just going to go and shut the dogs up. Go you on, carry then. on. You go shut the dogs up because I am going to turn my attention to our copious Jerry Anderson email bag. Now, this one, for example, comes from Dave Thomas uh, from Cardiff in Wales, who says, Hi, Jamie and Richard. Uh, I thought I'd drop you a line about a very special Space 1999 event that took place between the 29th of April and the 1st of May in Calgary, Alberta, in Canada. A small and friendly bunch of around 25 Alphans got together for a unique weekend of celebrations. I'm back now, by the way. Excellent. Uh, it started on the Friday with a day trip to Vulcan, the Star Trek capital of Canada, to visit the 30-foot-long Starship and Star Trek Museum. In the ah, evening nice. for dinner, we were joined by two very special guests. And for the weekend, they were Nick Tate, Captain Alan Carter... And Yasuko Nagazumi, or Yasio from the series, Yasko rather from the series. Yes. And on the Saturday, we had a traditional con day that featured two very special models. The original 44-inch screen-used Eagle 3, Ooh. kindly put on display for the day by Darren Peters. Nice. And an 11-inch screen-used Eagle seen in the closing credits, kindly supplied by David Hirsch. Uh, David and Robert Wood were also on hand to do a book signing session, signing copies of the Anderson Entertainment-produced book, Maybe There, The Lost Stories of Space. 1999. Uh, Nick and Yusuko also provided signing opportunities and a very interesting and witty Q&A. On the Sunday, we had a day trip to Royal Drunhella Dinosaur Museum, which was fascinating and Nick seemed to enjoy it very much. And on the last day of the event, we had a day trip to Lake Louise and a gondola trip up Sulphur Mountain in the oh, Canadian nice. Rockies. Blimey, I mean, we've got the National Space Museum in Leicester. Where are we going wrong? I know. Uh, no, no. Uh, once again, Nick and Yusuko enjoyed the experience and a couple of us also had a dip in the outdoor hot spring spa at the foot of the mountain. We then travelled on to the beautiful town of Banff for an ice cream and some souvenir shopping. A wonderful event. I was proud to attend, so unique and very honoured to be able to have so much access to Nick and to Yusuko over the weekend to chat to them and listen to their stories uh, of days gone by. I'd just like to give a big shout out to Warren F. Friedrich for organising this event and to all my fellow Alphans that attended. Looking forward to seeing you all again at the Space 1999 convention in Heathrow next year. Many well, thanks, Dave Thomas from Cardiff. There's nothing wrong with Heathrow. No. Wow. What? I mean, what a weekend. Yeah, it sounds like you had a lovely time. Congratulations, Brilliant. everyone. Yeah. Uh, hi, Jamie Richards, says Peter. Uh, this is Peter Lippman, who says, having finally got the address right... Thanks, Richard. I hope this has come through. Well, it has, Peter. Uh, he was sending the email to the old address, .co.uk, which I think is now uh, obsolete. It is, but it does get forwarded for the time mm. being, but okay. it won't anyway. forever. No. I hope you're both well, says Peter. I often wondered what Jerry's thoughts were on some of the other primetime science fiction series of the 60s. I'm sure he must have enjoyed The Invaders, otherwise I doubt he would have asked Roy Thins to be in uh, Journey to the Far Side of the Sun. Mm -hmm. Excellent film, by the way. But would you happen to know what he thought of Erwin Allen's canon of work? After all, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Lost in Space, Land of the Giants and the Time Tunnel all ran concurrently on ITV on the various regions with all of Jerry's series of the 1960s and I wondered if he was a fan of any of them. I won't mention Star Trek. Oh, by the way, I met him in 1984 and he told me his favourite all-time series was actually Dallas. Keep up the fantastic work with best wishes from surely one of your most advanced in years fans, Peter. I can't believe that, Peter. I mean, we've, no, got, you'd be surprised, we've got some very advanced years fans, yeah, but yes. Yeah. I actually don't know what he thought of the Owen Allen stuff. Mm. I used to watch the original Lost in Space when I was yep. a kid, and yep. I think he felt that it was a bit kitsch, maybe? Is that okay. fair? I mean, sure. you know, it's a little bit rich in some respects when you look at Fireball and Stingray to say yeah. that. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So, no, but he, he didn't really like watching other people's work. He did like Star Trek. He liked um, Gene, Gene Roddenberry and his, mm. his views of the future. Yeah. And they got on very well on that point. Yeah. Um, and as you say, he was a fan of Dallas. Uh, yes. yes. That's true. But he went through, he went through <laughs> phases of, di- of different things. You know, he right. really liked Dallas for a while. He really liked 2.4 children for a while. Okay. So, you yeah. know, he's quite eclectic. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh-huh. So there you go. Yeah, nice. Hi, Jamie and Richard, says Paul Hyder from China. Uh, I had a thought. With the letters F, A and B being sixth, first and second in the alphabet, uh, do you have anything special planned for podcast 612? Oh, just you wait, Paul. Pod 612 is going to be the most FAB podcast you've ever listened to. That gives you an idea of just how amazing it's going to be. We're planning it already. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you've got yep. 350 or so to go. So. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and finally, for now, David Lee Summers says, Hello, Jamie, Richard and Chris. I've just been listening to Pod 257 and heard your discussion of Anderson stars in other science fiction series. Mm. Yeah. Uh, one of my favourites is Nick Tate, who not only appeared in Deep Space Nine, as you mentioned, but also appeared as a shuttle pilot in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Final Mission. Uh, in true Space 1999 tradition, he crashes the shuttle carrying Captain Picard and Wesley Crusher. However, he says, my very favourite appearance by a Space 1999 actor in Star Trek was Clifton Jones, who played two different parts in the Star Trek The Next Generation two-part episode, Redemption. In part one, he plays a Klingon helmsman. Well, we've all done that. Uh, And in part (laughs) two, he plays Ensign Craig, a human crewman on a starship captained by Data. All best wishes from the southwestern United States, David Lee Summers. Great. Small Good world spot. of science fiction, eh? Absolutely, yeah. Keep your uh, your sci-fi spots coming in because we love to see where other uh, Anderson actors crop up because there were a lot of them and they crop up all over the place. Mm. So let us know where you see them. Cropping up. Yeah. yeah. Let us know, podcast.jerryanderson.com and I shall read out those emails alongside all the others next time. I look forward to it. As always. Uh, would you like it, me to shift things along, though, and change oh. us into a different gear? I'm not saying yeah. it's up or down. Uh, yeah, with some Jerry sure. Anson News? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, then. That's Jerry Anson News. As always, your regular mm-hmm. dose of Jerry Anderson news. News, 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 news. There's some stuff we should probably go through, so here we go. Go on then. So let's begin with t shirts. I mean, the weather's lovely, and, you know, why shouldn't we talk about t shirts? Part of the reason is because we've got a load of designs coming to the end of their life. It's their last chance. Those include designs like our um, We Will Be Avenged, Mr. On's t shirt, the Baddies uh, lineup. Captain Scarlet, Thunderbirds, loads more. So you've got until Wednesday the 31st to grab those. Part of our Last Chance collection. Uh, There'll be an email that goes out on Wednesday just to give you a last shout there. And our uh, May limited edition Captain Scarlet paint splash design is also ending at midnight on the 31st. So if you do want that, grab it because it's going away and it ain't coming back. Speaking of something else that is a one chance opportunity, would you like to come and have a a, a little love-in, mm-hmm. maybe that's the wrong term, but a little chat with me and Lee Sullivan. Well, if so, we'll be at the Cartoon Museum uh, the evening of the 1st of June. That's the Thursday. Cartoon Museum is, is in London, just off Oxford Street. And uh, we're going to be talking about the history of TV21 and Jerry Anderson comics in general. Um, hopefully going to give you some insights, Lee's reflections on someone who's gone from 
being a fan of the comics to actually working on them and working on uh, stuff even alongside uh, Mike Noble and, uh, and many others. So, yes, it should be a jolly event, and it's the last opportunity to, the uh, last couple of days, to see the Jerry Anderson Comics mini exhibition, the capsule exhibition at the Cartoon Museum. If you can't make it, we will try and video it, but I can't guarantee that's going to happen. So um, hopefully we'll see you there. There are a couple of tickets still available. Just go uh, search for the Cartoon Museum. Well, that's exciting. If you've ever wondered how Thunderbird 4 gets back into Pod 4, well, you will hopefully have seen the article on the Jerry Anderson website, jerryanderson.com, last week. If not, and you want to know, then you know where to go and look now. This Friday, we'll be answering the same question about Sky 1. How does Sky 1 reattach to Skydiver? Well, you'll find out next week. Oh, Betty in the background there is very excited. Betty, shush. Um, I've been banging on about it for a while, but we are moving to our new warehouse on the 6th of June. From the 6th of June, if you're in the UK, you should be able to get cheaper shipping. Hooray! Uh, and also, I mean, Betty's excited about this too. Uh, also about, uh, you'll be able to get uh, options for shipping. So we, we're aiming to have you some lovely kind of uh, budget options. And then if you really want stuff super fast, some fast options, and you get to choose at checkout, hopefully you'll get a better quality of service, better protected, better packed items. And we're looking forward to working to, uh, to get that for you. If you're outside of the UK, we are working on some really fantastic shipping deals uh, because, you know, we, I do read your emails and stuff that come in when, especially if you're maybe in the US or Australia, New Zealand, you drop us a line and say, gosh, shipping is so expensive. I agree, which is why we're working to solve it. But very, very soon, likely the middle of June, uh, we'll be going live with international shipping options, which will be much more favorable and will let you get access, hopefully more easily, to all those bits of Anderson merch that you've been waiting for. Lovely. And finally, Podstrons, you know what's happening 17th of June... And the National Space Centre, it's Brit Sci-Fi. 17th is our live podcast, and the 18th uh, is Fab Live. Oh, yes. So we'd love to see you either or both days, but obviously a Podstrong get-together is always a really, really lovely thing. Um, and there will be a world premiere exclusive occurring during the podcast recording. Mm. So... Um, that's all I can say for now. It's top secret otherwise, but hopefully uh, it'll give you a little thrill to be there on the day. So... That's the end of this week's Jerry Anson News. That was the news. That was the news. Uh, in fine voice. Thank you, as Good ever. work. Yeah. Uh, talking of fine voice, our podstrons go on a bit, don't they? Do they? Oh, and you should see them. You should see them on the Facebook page. Honestly, on the Podstron's official podcast listeners group, they go on and on about all sorts of things Jerry Anderson related. Do you want to hear some? I'd love all of it, please. <laughs> okay. David Hollis says, I've just found some of my old pin badges, and I think they're from the 1990s, and he pictures, uh, or rather posted a picture of some uh, Thunderbirds uh, pin badges, and that sparked me to ask, well, hmm, what's the oldest toy that our wonderful Podstrons own? Or the oldest piece of merch. Can we find the oldest existing piece of Jerry Anderson merchandise? If you think you've got it, post it on the uh, Podstrons Facebook group, and we can all have a look. And yeah. then bring it with you to the space centre, and then we can ah. have one line ordered by height order, and then one line ordered by <laughs> right. age of merch. Okay. Yeah, we're still going to do that, are we? I hope yeah. so, yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, Stephen Carson said, I enjoyed the interview with Ray Harryhausen's daughter and her colleagues over the last few weeks. As well as being a huge Ander fan, I've always loved Ray's films. Although, I must say, I tend to fast forward through all the Dynamation sections. 
I'm lucky to live in Edinburgh and visited the Titan of Cinema exhibition last year. Vanessa mentioned that the original models were shown, but there was so much more. I loved the recreation of how Dynamation works, the animation of some of the characters, and you can see yourself uh, in one of Ray's movies. Fantastic stuff. And I celebrated my 60th last year, and in addition to my Fireball XL5 anthology, I received Vanessa's Titan of Cinema book, which is tremendous. I think a joint exhibition could be a fantastic coup. Mm. That would work, wouldn't it? Yeah, possibly. Yep. yep. Richard Goodborn says, for the Ander fans of Martin Landau and Barbara Bain, Mission Impossible is being streamed on Pluto TV. Oh, Gosh. A bit, of that. a bit of Mission Impossible. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Kalinikos says, Beautifully something, pronounced. Thank you. I, something I always found strange about Thunderbirds International Rescue for the Game Boy Advance <laughs> way back in 2000 yes. is that whenever you fail a mission in the game, an image of Marina from Stingray shows up on screen, which begs the question, why did the developers do that? Were they planning a crossover with all three Super Mario Nation shows or a Stingray game? Is it just a fun Easter egg for Anderson fans or is it a production error? Let me know, says Benjamin. I have absolutely no idea. I didn't even know that was a thing. I knew the game yeah. was a thing because I think I had it back in the day, but right, I didn't remember right. that. So, I mean, who knows? more often than not, it's a mistake, isn't it? I think it, generally. Yeah, it can be. can yeah. be. Uh, Neil Green posted the opening titles from Thunderbirds on Fox Kids from 1994, saying, has anyone else seen anything worse than this? Oh, dear. It's pretty yes. terrible, isn't it? Mm. Well, Andrew Clements says, well, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with it. It's just rather pointless. At least turbocharged Thunderbirds was hilarious. Was it, though? Was it, though, AC? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not super sure about that. Uh, just a few more. Rebecca Andrews says, Hi all, quick question. Sorry if this has been asked before. I'm a bit behind on the podcast and please excuse my ignorance, but has Kevin John Davies featured as a guest or been approached for interview for his work on Terrorhawks? Oh, and Hitchhiker's Guide. Thanks in advance, Rebecca. Um, mm. I don't think so, but uh, we can certainly reach out. And if yeah. not, then there's, there's interviews with Kevin talking about all about it on YouTube, so you can yeah. always find out some info there. Great. And as we know, the podcast Live and Fab Live are fast approaching at the National Space Centre as part of Brit Sci-Fi in Leicester in June. Mm. Uh, a couple of weeks, uh, Hayden Gribble says, very exciting times in Shay's Gribble. Just booked to see Fab Live and take my two-year-old Thunderbirds-obsessed toddler to the National Space Centre on June the 18th. A great Father's Day present to myself. I didn't know it was Father's Day, but there we are. Uh, Jonathan Westall says, I booked my tickets for the Saturday. Really looking forward to it. I can't wait to meet some of you. Uh, but Mark Simpson Wedge says, unfortunately, I'll be only able to attend Sunday's Brit Sci-Fi event because on Saturday, I'm at Belgrave Hall fighting ghosts, a cyborg and a rock monster. If you don't believe me, subscribe to my YouTube channel and wait for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, okay. What a tease. What a tease, yeah. Uh, yes, well, we look forward to seeing... As many of you as possible at uh, Brit Sci-Fi, uh, June the 17th and 18th, I think. Correct. Um, yeah, come along and join us for a live podcast with, shall I say, some extra special features. Well, at least one. Live on at the least summer. one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. So, so, don't guarantee the multiple features when we're wow. only planning one. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun, though. I'll be looking yeah. forward to seeing you all there. Absolutely, can't wait. Yeah. Uh, would you like some interview with Anna Leon Brophy? Because I've got another bit with her. Yes, I would. Okay, well then, um, it's Anna Leon Brophy again. Uh, she's Tintin in our Thunderbirds audience, don't you yes. know? She's also been in all sorts of fancy other stuff. I bet. Uh, so here's Anna Leon Brophy, part two. I mean, the process of that with Sam after the initial discussion and once you were on board, did you have any, any kind of feedback when the script and stuff came through or during the, the recording sessions, or did it just kind of all work? I think the main thing that we were 
we were concerned about was finding a space where the accent felt, and again, this is something that comes up again and again with with representation, you know, um, was finding something that felt authentic, light, but still, you know, and, and there's so many sort of booby traps you can tread in Absolutely. in terms of going in, down a sort of cliche or stereoty- stereotypical um, path with that. And then also, but also people, you know, if, if you go to Malaysia, like it personally, my personal opinion, best accent, <laughs> <laughs> best accent in the world. I mean, I'm not, yeah. maybe I'm biased, um, no, but no, it's just a really <laughs> kind of lyrical and sing song. Yeah. Which is really kind exactly. of lovely. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it was nice for me to draw on elements from my family yeah. that I feel comfortable with, but also, you know, bringing just, just putting this a little bit of light lightness on it. So that was our main concern, I think, because in terms of the character, as you say, these are not brand new stories, they're adaptations. So it's not like I was going to be, oh, well, why isn't Tintin kind of, you know, yeah, just give her a completely in new storyline. It's she's very much a supporting role. Yeah. And that's it is amazing to think you say 60 years almost. Wow. Mm. It's amazing to think that that was even in the mindset of anyone, you know, it, it, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you're like, oh, wow, somebody put somebody put a non-white character in here. Yeah. But for the 60s, it's it's really something. Yeah, it's it is amazing, and I, it makes me very proud actually of the kind of the the thinking that was behind it. But then, so lovely, yeah. that we can, you know, make some adjustments now and uh, it, it further improve it. And you know, we are looking at some new storylines potentially. So I Ooh, I think it flirt. may be time for uh, <laughs> Tintin to do a bit more. But hey, we'll leave that for another day. So moving from the kind of the the, the approach and the kind of sensitivity side to the the fun bit, the recording and the people and all that kind of stuff. When we did these books, we were still kind of starting to come out of various bits of lockdown and things were still a little bit fragmented. So mm. what was the, as much as you can remember, what was the recording process like? And and who were you kind of working with at the time? Because I think maybe you did quite a lot in isolation, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I did and I, I did and I didn't. God, it feels like a really long time ago now. <laughs> And so everyone was just kind of voices down the line the whole time. Yeah. You know, we were never in the studio. So there was, it was a lot of personalities in what felt like a virtual room in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a problem. And that, I mean, so the, the voices that you did hear down the, down the line, I mean, you had a real mix of kind of, mm. um, well, I'm going to say fanboys because there's definitely some of that. There's people who, <laughs> yeah. who, uh, Wayne Forrester, who was in there doing narration and reading it, yeah. he, he worked with Dad since like 1991, I think. Wow. Um, uh, John Colshaw, obviously, you know, very well known. Never worked yeah. with Dad directly, but I know is a big, a big fan. Uh, Joe Jameson, who's from from your kind of era of knowing knowing Thunderbirds. It, it's a real a real mixture. So, what I mean, how did it feel jumping in with this team of Mostly boys, of course, Genevieve Gaunt, but I, I expect you didn't. We didn't, yeah. So we've got we've, we've got to somehow get a Penelope and Tintin team up. That would be amazing. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. 
okay. would be great. Definitely see that. But yeah, how, what was the kind of the the feeling and and what are the sessions like, especially when working with Sam? Because you're you know you're you're friends as well as uh, as well as colleagues. Yeah, we've um, acted together before and been di- he's directed me before, and I really like his directing style. Um, so there was it was a lot of fun. I remember that you know, especially as it was you know, a a darker time. Mm. It was really enjoyable to sort of join that space, all those friendly voices and then all those fantastic characterization (laughs) voices, you know, sometimes you weren't sure which direction those things were coming from or where or from whom. Mm. So it was really enjoyable. And sometimes, you know, if there was a a long gap in, in the dialogue until, until I'm back in, you know, Mm. someone would be like, Oh yeah, come back in half an hour or come back whenever I would just be sitting there having a little listen, <laughs> you know, doing my internet shop or whatever, but <laughs> headphones on, just kind of listening to what everyone was doing because, I mean, the voices are iconic. Yeah. The the camaraderie, you know, ah, my goodness. I want to say Chris, who's um the Canadian actor? Justin. Again, it's been a, Justin, Justin, Justin. So, yeah, you had Justin phoning in from Canada at the crack of dawn and (laughs) I know (laughs) so yeah I have a lot of um, really fond memories and also it's just nice to hear the story take shape yeah which is very heartening you know to to feel to feel that positive about something before it's been cut together before anything and it's um yeah there's lots of there was always lots of joking around and and silliness on the line yeah, um, Wayne, Wayne Forrester is the worst for that. I find the he, worst. Oh, just the isn't he the worst? He just messes <laughs> around. He barely does any work. <laughs> I hope he's listening. Uh, mm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're all brilliant. I mean, you you would so you were doing the the audiobooks, then you went off to do lots of very important filming work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and we we so we've done two two sets of comic adaptations that are missing a vital component. So when you were doing the audiobooks, they're very long. They're quite kind of ponderous, very 1960s narration style. Mm-hmm. Um, the next ones that we're working on, uh, is that a podcast exclusive as well? I, 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 <gasps> I dare not say too much more. But when they've been recorded recently, they were recording them as if it was a kind of once through 1960s style radio play. So you're literally going scene by scene the whole way through in one go, then go back and do pickups. So that's oh, nice. That's that's the kind of way that we found that seems to be working now so that'll be the next one and we did get most of the cast at the sound house to do the recording so i'm really hoping for the next ones we can get everyone together and maybe see tintin uh getting in on the action um as she deserves to do that'd be great there's just something special about everyone being in the same space isn't there yeah, yeah, I've, um, and I've I've definitely missed that. I have to say, you know, pe- I reckon people listen to the podcast think, yeah, 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 just you know, just talking. You don't need to see each other. It's just audio. But actually, I mean, you know what it's like. There's a kind of an energy and a, a sort of fizz in the room. And if somebody's, you know, taking a line somewhere or doing ad libbing a bit, and they see just a little look from their their castmates, it encourages them, and everything just gets lifted with with eye contact and body language, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, definitely. Not to mention the added bonus of like complete focus in in the space. Like, yeah, no you internet walk shopping. into this space, you know, no internet. Sh- I'm doing. Oh, you wouldn't <laughs> believe the, the amount of shopping I've done since we've been on the call. 
I wonder where you're looking at. That all makes sense. I would never. I would never. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really hoping we can get everybody in the in the studio together because I think it's 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 a really nice thing to do, and you know people are really enjoying the the adventures. So the more that we can do, the the better. Are there any particular things you would like Tintin to do? I mean, obviously you want your chauffeur. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to go for a drive in Fab One to pilot Thunderbird Two? Go to space. Oh, yeah, I think a bit of piloting is on the cards for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think she'd absolutely uh, rock that. Yeah, she, we'll have to make it happen if we possibly can. So, Anna, as you've said, that egg is so hard to find online. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people do want to find you, and by googling egg, they merely come up with, you know, food, omelette recipes, uh, exactly. <laughs> How can people find you uh, online and find out what you're up to? You can um, most easily and successfully find me on Instagram. Um, so that's at longbrophy, L-O-N-G-B-R-O-P-H-Y. And if you are looking for details on egg, if you go to eggcomedy.com, that's probably easiest. Eggcomedy.com. Okay, amazing. What? <laughs> Hopefully you will see some some podsterons, some of our listeners. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, come say hi if you do come. Yes, but do do go and, go and say hello and uh, get Tintin's autograph. I mean, <laughs> what an amazing opportunity. <laughs> um, Anna, good luck with the show and thank you so much. And hopefully I will see you at the Sound Towers for a Thunderbirds recording in the not too distant future. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Jamie. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Anna. You can go and find her in a comedy duo at eggcomedy.com or follow her on Instagram and Twitter at longbrophy. And of course, you can hear her in all the Thunderbirds audios, Peril in Peru, mm. Operation Asteroids, yep. Terror yep. from the Stars, all that lot. And um, who knows, maybe some more coming soon. That's, good. That's, that's exactly the question I was about to well, ask. Don't ask that question because I've oh. just teased it. It'll be weird yeah. now. All right. All right. Now, over on our YouTube channel, uh, you can see lots of uh, fantastic stuff from uh, Jerry Anderson oeuvre, including primers Ooh, and interviews and archive stuff and free episodes. Uh, Tom Senior says, how lucky we were. This is our uh, comment underneath pod 57 which you can also see on uh, youtube how lucky we were to have grown up with jerry anderson and ray harryhausen productions in our lives being a child in the 60s i missed out on vhs during my early years but when vhs did become ubiquitous it was only possible to rent that which was available from your chosen video shop buying tapes was prohibitively expensive for the longest time 20 quid a chuck for a blank tape Finally, sanity prevails, and it's possible to own almost every copy of these classic films and shows. A shame I had to wait the better part of seven decades to get there. Oh, it's not on, is it? All that waiting around. Goodness me. <laughs> but how lucky we are. I think we lose touch with exactly how fortunate oh, we are. Yeah. The age that we live in where everything pretty much is available, uh, you know, in in pretty good shape in yes. physical copy to own and watch as many times as you want. Does that detract, do you think? Does that take away something of the magic? No. Having it there on your shelf to watch five times a day if you it's, want? No, it's just different. Mm. I, I kind of think about the accessibility of entertainment now like a library, really, or like books, is that you mm. can stop and start whenever you like. You can get out as many as you like, uh, you know, dip in in whatever way rather than waiting. I mean, it, you yeah. know, the library service was... Um, yeah, you know, the book that you want to read is going to be available for half an hour next Thursday. Yes. And if you miss the particular right. location when you can't read it again until yeah. next week, and then once it's played out, yeah, sorry, that's it. You can never see the book again. Yeah. It, 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 You know, it's not like the way we like to, to consume stuff, I don't think. So I think no. it's rather lovely that we can get yeah. it in all manner of ways in all media. 
Absolutely right. H.G. Wells 1899 commented, uh, more <laughs> exhibitions. I would wish for an exhibition a bit further south, ideally London, to give us southern softies a chance to share a space with these truly iconic pieces. Uh, these interviews have sent me down a welcome rabbit hole into the Ray Harryhausen podcasts. And job done, lady and gentlemen. I have my restored 4K First Man in the Moon and 2K Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger Blu-rays on order, while one or two of those star ace figures are beckoning to me from out of the midst of time. Keep up the great work. Vanessa and so on, uh, like Jamie and Team Anderson here, keeping the childhood dreams literally again of so many of us thriving. Wonderful stuff as always. Oh, nice, lovely. Mm. I love the crossover stuff and the yes. way that it kind of just cross-pollinates yep. like that. It's great. Very yeah, happy. absolutely. Oh, now Roger Smith is taking you to task. I think you were talking oh, a couple of weeks ago this, about yes. bumping into him. Uh, well, I think it was Asda, Jamie, says Roger. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the sci-fi weekend. Any chance of some guests from uh, Anderson Audio Adventures, as I've been enjoying all of them. Fireball, Stingray, Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, UFO, and Space 1999. Oh, well, that's lovely. I mean, it's it's possible. Yeah. It's difficult to get everybody over, especially when it's a kind of multi, multi-show yes. event yes, like this Yes, that's one. right. That's right, exactly. So, yeah, let's, uh, again, yeah. you know, never, never, ever say never. Yeah. Uh, O.D. Dillon says, well, what a fascinating, fab history lesson. Countless thanks and uh, thumbs up to Jamie and Anderson Entertainment for keeping his mum and dad's legacy alive and going strong. But here's a question for Jamie and company. Could you do an episode on face modelling used in Jerry and Sylvia Anderson's shows, in particular Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet and Stingray? I've seen an actor... Uh, Jackie Cooper's face is used a lot in the Scarlet series. I would love to know what other famous actors were used, unless, of course, telling us would bring up some legal troubles. No, I mean, we've covered this before, actually, and there is some stuff online about it. It's that these are not direct copies of anyone. It's just that when you're... Imagine having a discussion about a new character we want to go, Mm. uh, let's call him um, Richard John... Okay, let's call him that. Yes, uh, and we say, well, he, you know, he's 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 tall and yeah. uh, slim and kind of <laughs> yeah. heroic, um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and and, yeah. and 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 the sculptor's kind of going, okay, kind yeah. of like, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, how yeah. do you give a reference? The only yeah. way you can do it is really to say other human faces that you know, yeah. and so it then very quickly becomes, oh, ah, a little heroic, bit kind handsome, of slim, little bit yeah, kind of um, kind of yeah. like um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Louis mm-hmm. Theroux meets yes. uh, Rob yes. Brydon. That's the kind yeah. of vibe we're wow. going for. Is, is that okay? You know what I mean? Oh. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. But you see, instantly, you can conjure up the two faces and blend them together, and then it, it helps with the sculpt. So it's the same with, like, oh, you know, Scott Tracy, that's Sean Connery. It's not. Mm. He's not literally Sean Connery, is he? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it, it, those kind of features were in the mind of the sculptor of the puppet at the time. Yeah. So, you know, they'll say, oh, well, um, Scarlet's Cary Grant and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. not not a hundred percent yeah so any of that is it's a little bit post hoc isn't it it's it's yeah. it's it's us looking back and going well maybe yeah because there's only very few where uh, you know the sculptors and the puppeteers mention specific celebrities from the time oh, as far as i know so um i've I kind of feel like i've i've covered that and also well you really have blown yes. out the water and also no, weed, no. weed on your strawberries a bit there sorry no, that's fine i that's didn't fine. mean to yeah. no no it's fine uh, all for now but at the other side of the randomizer we'll be taking a look at what uh, some people have been thinking about fab facts recently oh mm-hmm. no really yeah yeah okay uh, well yeah. Uh, I can't wait for that. So, um, should we go to the randomizer? Yes. Go uh, on. Okay, Chris is here with his randomizer and he's going to press the button and watch you a random episode. Don't say it like that. No, it'll be great. It's always great. Yeah. We love Chris, the randomizer. So, Chris, with bated breath <gasps> and quivering fingers. <laughs> 
Well, that, how do you do quivering a, fingers in an audio thing? Was that a sea thing? devil? That was a sea devil, wasn't it? <laughs> it's the This is a pleasure. Well, thank you, Mr. Humes. It's a very nice place you've got here. Even if the elevator is a little oh, grating. Uh, Mr. Humes! It's all right, Joe Moore. Uh, please, um, sit down. You have a question for me? Yes, well, not so much a question, more a proposition. Uh, you see this machine right here? Do you know what this is? No. Well, this is the randomizer, and in here we have every single Jerry Anderson television episode and feature film ever made. That's remarkable what science is capable of. Quite so, and we were rather hoping that you might be able to press the button for us today. Although, I don't know, the gloves might be a bit of a problem? I can program anything. Oh, well that's certainly new, operating the machine without touching it. How long have you been able to do that? I don't remember. You might want to have that looked into. Right, let's see what we have. Ah, okay. Well, it's Stingray today with an Echo of Danger. Is that one of your favourites, Mr. Humes? So what? I, I can't recall. Oh well, it's a good one anyway. Guess we better go and watch it. Yes, of course. Joe Moore, show them to the elevator. Uh, yeah, that's alright. We'll uh, take the stairs, I think. So, we welcome back to the randomizer, good old Stingray, with uh, an episode that has a very interesting opening, I find. It's one of my favourite bits of, of, of character stuff from the entire series. X20 playing the piano here. And it's, this is reused music from um, Secret of the Giant Oyster. He's playing the piano along to this pre-recorded tune, but it's just so... So nice, such a nice insight into the character because it shows that between assignments from Titan, he has downtime, he just relaxes or in this case seems to be learning more about um, life on the surface land by, by playing one of their instruments. He seems to be doing quite well. And aside from this music recurring throughout the story, this piano playing really has no um, no no point to anything. It's just a lovely bit of character development. Very understated as well, which is nice. Uh, it's a shame considering how many uh, instruments are in the back room. We don't get to see him playing those bagpipes. But uh, hey-ho, the piano is nice too. What's wrong with X20? He should have answered my call ten million minutes ago. Yes, Titan has put a call through. Surface engine X20 reporting, Your Majesty. I'm sorry for the delay, but Save I Save your excuses! He was practicing the piano. He had his oh, piano recital to get to. The destruction of Stingray have been to no avail. <laughs> oh dear, so it's time for another master plan. We cannot destroy the craft. We must ruin the efficiency of the crew. But this is a clever idea, this episode. Um, rather than take down the whole crew, let's take down one crew member. Which I suppose we've done before with the master plan, take down Troy, but... I get him relieved of duty? Don't ask me, you fool! I give the orders, you think of ways to carry them out! I'm the beauty, you're the brains! Why must Titan always give me the impossible tasks? Oh, and it's nice as well that we see X20 get frustrated with all this as well, because sometimes, as we've seen, he just wants to kick back and play the piano. Operation, Atlanta. 
There's millions and millions of gallons of oil in that container tube. But I like this as well, this this planning scene. Um, Shaw, Atlanta and Fisher are reviewing this, this model setup, which is very nice. Maybe the idea is old, but the material that tube's made of is new. There's an oil shipment. Why we can carry such a big quantity. Stingray's going to be acting as escort for. What's she going to ask next? Why is Stingray on escort duty? I also have to mention at this point, um, I don't know if it's, if maybe the film stock was changed or they start, started lighting the sets in a different way, but around this time in the series, the show, the picture quality just suddenly looked a lot better. And I think this episode has always looked nice. It even looked nice on DVD compared to the other episodes around it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that I... It's a, an all-round lovely viewing experience for a, a lovely story. They startle me. But as the wasp personnel, I'll let X20 explain. Don't realize that I'm cleaning their windows so that I can see them more clearly. Yes, thank you for that. You, you saved me having to sum up the visuals here. But there he goes. I also love that nobody in the control tower actually notices him go. It's almost as if X20 in certain scenes exists outside of the larger narrative. It was almost like when he was um, saying his dialogue there, it was like he was talking directly to the audience, which I find quite, um, quite fun. Uh, I always find X20 quite fun, but I just love that there's no consequences for that terrible fall he suffers there. And we have some gorgeous visuals of this uh, this crude oil shipment being dragged across the ocean by Tug and Stingray cruising around the place, getting quite up close to those uh, oil tubes, I think. But don't worry, nothing can go wrong. I also love the distance between the ship pulling the, the oil and Stingray up front right in front of the camera and the model looks really big in certain certain shots in this sequence okay fella your move while all this is going on phones is playing checkers opposite himself well 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 and i do like it it does make me smile at, at times scenes in these old shows with someone playing a game Yay. both sides uh, are being played by them check as if it's some kind of futuristic thing and now we look back on it and thinking actually that's something we can do really easily uh, we can play play checkers or whatever opposite people who don't even exist so oh, must come this way it's a bold plan but this echo transmitter could do the trick uh, <laughs> pause for evil laugh it works by remote control <laughs> <laughs> the remote control part is the funniest of all. <laughs> oh, but I, I don't know why they've gone with this this secret of the giant oyster music for this episode, but it's so lovely. I do like it when when Barry Gray dips into the old music archives and finds something that actually has has legs to be used again further down the line. Stingray should be in range by now. X two zero has dropped off an echo sounder which makes a little bloopy bloop noise when you turn it on. Got something? Well, there's some kind of underwater craft down there, that's for sure. Can you get a fix on its position? Nothing could be easier. And interestingly, a lot of this dialogue around this discovery of and journey to the Echo Sounder, a lot of it was just reused in The Cool Caveman for some reason. I guess it makes sense if you have a scene that, you know, 
does the job of, a, of another scene, you may as well just reuse the footage. But I always find it interesting. I think there's a bit in, in Captain Scarlet where they use the same shot of Lieutenant Green saying, I can't make contact, Colonel. It's the same recording and I think the same puppet footage. But anywho, Stingray has found... I can't see a thing. Nothing much. Must have made a mistake, Phones. But of course, this poor old convoy... T3 tug... and... lots and lots of oil... is all alone and unguarded. Hmm. No sign of Stingray. It's almost too easy for X20. It's worked. Just open fire and... Oh. And it's such a shock, this scene. A, it, it, the effects are beautiful, it goes without saying. But it's also such a shock to see... <laughs> yeah, our heroes have uh, have stuffed this one right up. This is a fairly big disaster. It's work. That's a lot of oil going up in those... Uh, it's... Those tubes. Stopped. Stingray from tow vessel. Emergency. Emergency. We're on fire. And there's, there's human lives involved. Roger. On the tugboat. To pick up survivors. Oh, and the fire's already reached the boat. This this stuff, this effect stuff is just so moody and atmospheric. Doesn't have any music right till near the end, which is quite interesting. But, oh, the explosions are beautiful. And I love the shot of Stingray just rising up, just surrounded by smoke. Look at that. And these hugely violent explosions. Yeah, the tug's already on fire. There's nothing we can do except pick up the survivors and head for home. Okay, Troy, and come back with some answers. They'd better be good, because, brother, you're gonna need them. And it's hard to think of any moment in the Supermarionation show where we see our heroes completely and utterly not only fail their mission, but I think some people have died on the tugboat. Stingray has presumably picked up everybody, dived beneath the water to safety, but... What I find quite chilling about this is, um, is it going to happen again? You hear the tugboat sounding its horn as Stingray dives beneath the ocean, which always makes me think there's someone still on board that ship, frantically sounding the horn. And if there was, they are now gone. The whole thing has been a complete disaster. We come back to a very somber atmosphere. I've always wondered who did those voices, because I don't think those are any of the regular voice actors. Uh, I sometimes wonder if, like, the post-production team occasionally had to fill in with voices on these shows. And order! That's better. Phones is outside the inquiry room. We don't... Inside we have Shaw, Atlanta, Wasp, Admiral Guy number one, number two, number three, Lieutenant Mizen. I can't ignore the one definite fact. That looks like it could be Thompson from Invisible Enemy in a Wasp uniform. Nice to see him promoted. At the time, investigating a sounding. And Troy and Fisher at the other end. A sounding that proved to be completely without foundation. I like that they uh, forgave Lieutenant Mizen so easily. There's absolutely no reason Order! Why... Order! And I, I, I just love the, the very serious and somber tone of all this. I'm sure all of us in this room... Because the characters seem just as shocked as we are that responsible for they the failed. Of the world and it's almost... It seems to be incompetence. Good. And the baddies have scored a point for once. It's very rare, especially in this show. So again, that all Marineville personnel must be 100%. 
both physically and mentally. Which brings me to the question of those security checkpoint guards. What the hell are they about? That phones must submit to a full medical checkup. And until the results are forthcoming, phones will be relieved of all duties. Oh no, of course phones is sat outside. The reporters are already there. Somehow they found out about this. Poor phones. He's such a nice guy as well. Congratulations, Surface Agent. You have done well. Thank you. He's already got a new disguise on ready for the next part of his master plan. His medical checkup. Oh, he will. He will. A meeting. A meeting will shortly be arranged between Phones and myself in this disguise. He will be under the impression that I am a psychiatrist who can help him. By the time I'm finished with him, he'll be laughed on to do wasps forever. <laughs> oh. It's so nice to see the baddies actually actually making serious progress for once. But we also have these very sad shots of characters staring out the window back at Marineville. All very sad about how things are going. You know I feel as bad as you do about this phones business. And I, I just didn't have a choice. I know. And there's no animosity as well, which is nice. Hyper hallucinations or whatever you call it. Not like me, I have strange dreams about being shrunk and put in a fish tank. Something we haven't thought of. Look, Troy, the matter's closed. Of course, if some new evidence was to come to light... Again, this is lovely character stuff, too. It would have to be unofficial, but uh, good luck anyway, Troy. Shaw's throwing down the gauntlet to, to let Troy do what he knows he's going to do anyway. I was going to anyway. Go and... Uh, seek out information for himself. Don't forget, I've rented the house on the island of Limoy. Well, I know it. I, I, I just hope that if you find anything wrong that you'll be able to fix me up before the checkup. Though. And by the way, you sound like everyone else who's ever lived on the island of Limoy that I've ever visited. But I'm sure that's nothing. Hey, Troy. Now look, I've got a plan that may help to clear this whole thing up. Keep it under your hat. But this is the idea. And who's this now um, making his way onto Stingray, accompanying Troy on the injector tubes? It's Lieutenant Fisher. Always nice to see him getting a bit more to do. Wow, this is great. My first trip out to sea in Stingray. Now take Unless you count that time in Set Sail for Adventure, which was broadcast before this episode. Yeah, I've, I'm re-watching Stingray at the moment one episode a week, as I think I mentioned previously. For some reason, I chose to watch it in broadcast order, and it's just a nightmare. I normally tend to favor, favor like the production order or ITC order, which in most cases are basically the same. The Stingray broadcast order is just a nightmare, and that's one of the smallest examples. You have things like Marina throwing parties in her house that she hasn't yet had built, or um, the Stingray crew knowing about uh, Troy having dreams about underwater aliens that he hasn't actually met yet, and so on. It's just... I've had some kind of crazy dreams. Joke the broadcast order. I know it doesn't really make any difference, especially in this day and age. But I didn't think it would it would stand out with Stingray so much as other shows. But it just goes to show all of them have these little running threads of continuity that, if you throw them all up in the air and then stick them on the air in whatever order they land in, it um, just doesn't work. Anywho, Phones is now on the island of Lemoy in the familiar room. I guess you're the dark. With yet another suspicious 
Peter Lorre sounding character. And this is, again, a great use of existing elements of, of this, this world of Stingray, in particular X20's house. As Phones closes his eyes, X20 is removing all of those paintings, having every, everything's turning around and being replaced with the uh, communications equipment and so on. All right, Mr. Phones, now open your eyes for a moment and tell me your thoughts. Uh, well, I've never had any of those. And of course, this is a fairly notable scene because it's Robert Easton talking to Robert Easton, which is always great fun in, in these Super Mario Nation shows to see an actor talking to themselves, especially when there's no other actors in the scene. Mr. Fons, surely you're not having another hallucination, are you? I don't know. And Easton's just a great performer throughout this series, and one of the most underrated, I think. Like this? No. Because, probably because he's only in the one series. Your eyes he just does so much, so much quality work. This time, try to relax. But it's hardly surprising, considering he went on to become one of uh, Hollywood's, like, leading, if not the leading, voice coach. Oh, this lovely music. I was actually watching Secret of the Giant Oyster the other day, and uh, to be honest, it wasn't as good as I remembered, but the music is just standout all the way along. Obviously, March of the Oysters is brilliant, but this... I don't know, this is this music was composed to accompany people swimming through underwater caves, and it's just so much more epic than it needs to be for such a, a tiny matter-of-fact scene. Supposing I've had another hallucination. Come along, Mr. Fonts. You must face up to the truth. What I also love about this is is Robert Easton is doing X20 doing a voice. It's it's a very subtle Believe it. Little shade to the performance. Boy, am I sick. This slightly more Germanic sound to uh, to X20's regular voice. <sighs> Alas, Mr. Fonts. The room has never changed. It's all in the mind. Now, what you need is to go to some lonely place and forget all about the wasps. Pity I didn't know all this earlier. Here's one of my favorite Robert Easton bits. Yeah, he's going out to that spot to look for evidence. Say that again? <laughs> Troy Tempest is taking Stingray out to sea looking for evidence. You... Don't sing. Yeah, X20 finding out that his plans might be about to fall apart and struggling to maintain his composure. Again, just, oh, Robert Easton, all the way along the line in this show is fantastic. Ah, anywho, it looks like the Stingray chaps might have found the Echo Sounder thingy. They're landing quite close by. Again, Stingray looks nice and big. You can stay aboard, Fisher, and I'll go outside and search. Okay. Of course, it'd sure help if we knew what we were looking for. Oh, so they haven't noticed the um, suspicious-looking object on the ocean floor, then? Do you think? How many more times have I got to say no? This is an unofficial trip, and you're just not used to the equipment. If and when you join the crew, you touch, okay? Okay. Um, sorry, Captain. I, I, this is fun as well. I don't know why Troy is getting so grumpy about it. Because, you know... He is a trainee aquanaut. He's got to learn this stuff sometime. Seas of Stingray forever. And even though he doesn't know this stuff yet, the whole, don't, just don't touch it. You'll, you'll break it. It's not really an attitude that a captain should be, uh, should have towards a junior officer. Of your plan. 
Yes, the Titans personal guard are on their way to uh, um, what well, I've forgotten what they were doing. Something uh, is, is X two zero going to get the echo sounder? The Aquavibians are going off to a rendezvous with X two zero. I remember that much. I can't remember why though. But more lovely, <sighs> sad shots of, of characters looking forlornly out of windows, or Atlanta's built a little house of cards there. So it's obvious everyone is worrying about all this. Half hour, Captain. Thanks, Fisher. Nothing yet. First quarter, you've got another half hour. So they only had 40 minutes allocated for this. Is that right? Yeah. Unless my maths is broken. Oh. Fisher has picked up the headphones that he was told not to touch. Meanwhile, Phones is smoking away the uh, the last of his, his cigarettes. And Fisher's got something. I also love the way he, tro uh, he calls Troy Captain. Tempest. Captain! What is it? I'm picking up a sounding. Some kind of submarine and close. You've got those headphones on? Well, well, yeah. Well, don't sound so sorry. If you've really found something, I'll buy you a set. He's sending such mi mixed signals here, Troy, regarding those headphones. Open the hatches. <gasps> oh, but before Troy can move... There they are. The personal guard, two aquafibians on his tail. And this is a fun and, and quite well-paced action sequence. And I, I guess it is an action sequence of... The Aquafibians pursuing Troy. And they do so much with, with a very limited bit of set. And considering there's no actual water involved in this, I can thoroughly believe that they are underwater, that these puppets are swimming. Even though I know they're just being flown across the set on wires, it does look like underwater. It's very convincing. But Troy's made it back. Ew, that was a close one. What about those two jokers outside? Well, they can't do anything. Let's worry about that sub. It is an interesting... Um, moment to look at that though there and, and think how far the aquafibians have fallen compared to how they were introduced in the first episode now you have two of them plonked outside stingray each of them holding a rifle and troy says oh, they can't do it they can't do anything they're not a problem we can't find out what it's doing down here so oh those aquafibians i guess are not dead stingray would have just left them i just find it strange that the aquafibians didn't try to like crawl in through a torpedo hatch or try and shoot up the engines or whatever, but this week it doesn't matter. To attack and get it over with. Stingray's pursuing X-20's sub, and he really thinks he's he's for it now. Luckily, he's turned on his little box of tricks. Got another sounding, Skipper. There's a ship right behind us. Skipper? Captain? We would have heard it approaching. Very old-fashioned uh, jargon Fisher's using here. I like it. Right back and see what it is. But then I like Fisher, generally, as, as a character. I think he's really, really nice guy and uh, often un underrated and underutilised. I like that in later episodes they started to use him more than they had done. In the beginning, he really was just an extra, and there's episodes like this, he starts to take this journey towards... Well, I think it would have been nice if he'd been uh, part of the, the Stingray crew, even if uh, only occasionally. So now Stingray has found the Echo Sounder. Bones is going to be okay. I just love the shot of Stingray descending. Oh, although that's interesting. As Stingray just started to disappear out of frame, something was coming in at the top of the frame. It almost looked like, I don't know, some kind of cable? Something supporting the Stingray model, I guess. Hey. It is really great of y'all, what you did. Do you know 
We're now in the Blue Lagoon Bar. Marina's making her um, first appearance in the episode. He's crazy, ain't he? The guy behind the bar was uh, one of the puppets from um, Secret of the Giant Oyster, one of the naughty men. I ought to get my head examined. Oh, and we end with X20's room going all higgledy-piggledy and wibbly-wobbly as all of the electronic bits are spinning and rotating and going up and down and such. Ah, well then, that was lovely. That was Stingray, an echo of danger. And it's always been one of my, I think, probably personal favourites. I don't see this one getting a lot of love, nor does it get a lot of hate, but it's never up there with, like, the absolute classics of the series. And I think it probably should be, because it's a really nice integration of, of decent character stuff. And, and Stingray's characters are, are one of the, the real highlights and strengths of the show, but also some really nice effect stuff and it's it's nice that the episode doesn't focus entirely around effects we have this one sequence which is so amazing and impressive that it not only stands as one of the the greatest effect sequences of the series i think it's probably one of the greatest effect sequences of any anderson series uh it, so much so that they i think they replicated it in uh, one of the tv 21 comics and even it was on the the cover of one of the the 90s comics i think so yeah lovely effects lovely character stuff always love a bit of x20 and uh yeah it's a real nice um a nice little capsule of everything that made Robert Easton such a such a really great asset to to Stingray, both uh, as as a series and uh, as a ship. So yeah, an echo of danger, good stuff. Two thumbs up here. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Uh, yes, good. They, uh, Very good. I finally found a voice that I can actually yeah, do. Just the one. Just, yes. just the one and not that well. Anyway, Stingray, that was very it was strangely <laughs> well, appropriate well, for a really sea was. devil. A it sea really devil was. in inverted commas. Mm. Um, uh, yes, Stingray, Echo of Danger. Love, that, love a bit of Stingray. Uh, again, you know, a li little bit on the campsite, isn't it? But that's oh, yes, kind of part yeah. of the fun. Of course it is, exactly. That's uh, Chris, we'll be back next week with something... Also a little e bit on the campsite. <laughs> equally or less camp. Well, I think we all have our moments, Richard, to be quite honest. So, True. yes. Uh, he'll be back next week with some other um, randomizer goodness, basically. Yeah, now a recent fab fact detailed how uh, an episode of Supercar found its way onto a Space 1999 VHS, if you remember that. Yes, uh, everyone Travis, was fascinated uh, by that, yeah. I know. Uh, Travis T commented beneath that on our YouTube channel saying, there's a technical reason for adding a Supercar episode to a Space 1999 tape. Standard VHS tapes of the time were limited to two hours and 12 minutes of video physical space limitation. Uh, this was enough room for two one-hour episodes and one half-hour episode minus the commercials. Seeing that there wasn't room for another 1999 episode, another show from the Anderson Collection was added to fill the unused space on the tape. Nah. It also helped with marketing, he says. Well, no? so the marketing, don't you see, I don't, I don't buy that being like, oh, mm. we've got some empty tape, we better fill it. Yeah, I mean, if you're right. going to fill it, fill it with trailers teasers for something sure, doing some interview sure. stuff from the past yeah I, I i'm not sure i like well we better fill it yeah. with something i mean you might as well put an episode of tugs in there um <laughs> no, so, don't don't get started on thing chris Sale would do oh, so no i think it, i think it was probably more strategic i, I don't i don't uh, uh, argue about the, the the space on it and people going mm. well what could we do yeah 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 but i don't think it was a necessity that's what i'm saying mm. 
Yeah, uh, and actually it may well have had a, a good effect. Ian Fleetwood says, all I remember about VHS releases in the 90s is that they came thick and fast and I couldn't keep up with them, so I had to pick and choose. Sadly, mm. 1999 was one of the titles that I skipped. If I had collected, uh, then this would have been uh, my intro to Supercar, as even today I haven't seen it. I know of it, but that's it. And Richard says, well, Supercar yeah. was my first taste of the magic of Anderson puppetry. I knew they were puppets, could even see the strings, but it didn't matter because the creations around the puppets were wondrous and amazing. So, you know, Actually, it probably did the trick, didn't it? It may Many well have done think, for, for lots of people. So yeah. there you go. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, all for now. But yeah, do visit our YouTube channel. There's an awful lot there to keep you amused and entertained. And you can comment away uh, beneath the videos as well. And you know, there's more there every week. Would you I know, I've noticed. It's I can't keep up. Because it just keeps coming. So yeah, great. Uh, great work there. And don't forget to let us know what you'd like to see on the YouTube channel. Email us podcast.jerryanson.com with your mm. thoughts, requests, mm. desires, demands. I mean, don't make them too ridiculous. Don't say, yeah, I want every episode of Anderson for free on there sure because that ain't gonna happen i'm afraid no. it just can't no. otherwise no. you know yeah. it's sort of it's still got to be a commercial operation but we love to give you as much as we can for free yes. so if you want to see some behind the scenes or interviews or analysis or a review of the five weirdest bits of merch from across the years all that sort of stuff let us know <laughs> uh, we would love to assist with uh making that come true yeah be nice richard yeah i've slightly run out of steam Oh, okay. Well, let's call it a day, shall we? Is that all right? I'm a bit yeah, tired. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to overtax yourself. Good. Okay. Well, that's very, very thoughtful. And I'm very yeah. grateful. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I am going to go and do something else. Right. I wish you all an excellent week. Oh, okay. Lovely Thank weekend. You. It's very formal. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. Okay. And a bit. <laughs> a bit regal. I don't mean sorry. to. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. No. An audience with the king or something. No, no. Goodness me. Right. I, I wish I'm, you all a splendid weekend. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just oh. had to say that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the Jerry Anderson podcast. If we can get uh, hmm. King Charlie on the podcast, then that'll be Imagine. a real coup. But let's, let's wait and see. I bet but, he's a uh, fan. He probably is. He probably is he listening listens. right yeah. now, and he's probably yeah. just decided he's never going to do an interview because of that impression you just uh, did. <clears throat> well done for blowing our royal seal. Thanks. Sorry. Uh, anyway, we'll just have to make do with a wink instead. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye. Uh. Let's go. Spectrum is green. I wonder if people will get that uh, hilarious gag. I mean, the royal seal, oink, the seal. Oh, the royal seal. I wondered what that was about. Do you get it? Uh, It's quite niche, isn't it? I know, but this is the Jerry Anderson podcast. I suppose if anyone's going to get it, they're going to be Home of the niche, 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 niche. Yeah, that's true. And also, just because I then brought out the one vague impression I can half do, you had to one-up me, didn't you? Yes, my (laughs) sea devil. You had to one-up me with Charlie. (laughs) That's not very nice, is it? I do do like it. Can you make use of it anywhere? That's the trouble. It's not, you know, you can't really... Not really. I don't think no. Big, Big Finish haven't approached me to, uh, <laughs> no, to do it, yet. unfortunately. Well, there's so, time. There's time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'll go and record a little reel now. 
Great. And uh, send it over and see what happens. Right, good luck with that. Um, yeah, I'll All see right. what we can do. Okay. Okay, let us know how it goes. Will do. I'll get going now. Okay. <clears throat> For the love of story. <clears throat> Are you going to tell him or shall I? You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. 